My name is Greg Fondell, and it's a privilege to be with you this morning. I really enjoy the opportunity to, to, to share this space. Uh, Rob is gracious about doing that with me, and, uh, but come back next week and it'll be much better. <laughs> so let's bow for just a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, I sometimes get a headache from caffeine deprivation. More times than is good for me, I need a salt or a sugar fix. But I don't think that I've ever been truly hungry. I don't mean growling stomach hungry. I mean hungry to the point where your body starts to actually cannibalize itself in order to keep you alive. I think ours is the only culture in the world where we can open the fridge and find it overflowing with food and still say that there's nothing there to eat. In what other society would people make vows in the middle of winter on New Year's Day to go on a diet? We are stuffed with food to spare, sadly even food to waste. I don't know what it's like to be two or three days away from starvation, but that's the kind of world that Jesus entered into. At the beginning of his ministry, he fasted for 40 days in the desert. While this was a, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on during this time of testing, I think that the fundamental reason that Jesus went alone into the wilderness was to know in his bones the world that he was ministering to in the withering of his gut, in the gauntness of his limbs, in the frailty of his body, he got to know a world that was hungry. No wonder Jesus put at the very center of the prayer that he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's how dependent the world was. When Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life, he knew that he was bringing an absolute essential to humankind. We're talking this morning about this dangerous prayer. God, use me for your glory. Now, if we want to pray this use me prayer, we have to know at least three things. The God who calls and the people he uses and how he uses them for his glory. In order to understand this a little better, I'd like to walk with you through a familiar story from John 6, 1 through 13. You can read along on the screen or on your device or in your Bible. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. 
another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go with so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It's the only miracle other than Christ's resurrection that is included in all four Gospels. Now, some of its significance has to do with its scale. This account is known as the feeding of the 5,000, but it's actually misnamed. Verse 10 tells us that Jesus had the people sit down. 5,000 men sat down. 5,000 was a partial count. If you were to count the women and the children, the crowd easily could have been 15,000 or more. This is a well-attested miracle. Scholars tell us that the written gospels were circulating around Palestine and the Mediterranean within 40 years of this event. This story stood like something of a dare from the gospel writers. It was like saying, you want to validate our message? You want to see if what we're saying about Jesus is true? You go ask the thousands of people who ate that day because they're all witnesses. The Christian faith would have never had any credibility, would have never gotten off the ground if there had not been so many witnesses. And that's one of the reasons why the four gospel writers include this account in their accounts. But there is an even more important reason that this miracle is so well known. Because it uniquely shows us who Jesus is. If you think that this is only about Jesus throwing down an amazing buffet, you have it wrong. This text is not only about the fact that Jesus can do a lot with a little. It's primarily about who Jesus is. If you want to pray a use me prayer, you have to understand who Jesus is. Rob spoke a few weeks ago on a text from Exodus 16, and in that text, the children of Israel were in the desert, and they were hungry, and they complained. Moses, where in the world are we going to get any food in this place? We're all going to starve. What are you going to do? And we're told that God fed the children of Israel in the wilderness with bread from heaven, with manna. God sustained life in this desert place, in this dead place. So much so that the prophets continually said, now when the Messiah comes, he will feed his people with bread from heaven. Second, Baruch. It's not in your Bible. Don't go looking for it. It's actually an ancient Jewish writing. It says this, when the Messiah comes, 
The treasury of manna shall once again descend from on high, and they will eat of it in those years. So in John 6, we have Jesus, and we have a throng of people, and we have a remote place, and a lot of hungry souls. So what did Jesus do? Fed them with bread from heaven. I think we lose some of the impact and poignancy of this story because we don't really know what it means to be hungry. Jesus came to this hungry world. And through this miracle, Jesus was saying, do you see who I am? I'm the one who came from heaven. I'm the one who sustains life in the desert. I'm the bread of heaven who gives light to the world. I'm the Lord, and there is no other. The one who calls us is Lord. And that's so vital for us to understand. The crowd missed it. John 6, 2 says that they followed him when they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. They trailed him along the eight-mile shore of the Sea of Galilee because they were astonished by Jesus as a healer. In a parallel passage of this miracle, Mark 6.34 tells us that Jesus began teaching them about many things. The crowd stuck around because they were fascinated by the way that he taught them. And after Jesus fed them, they followed him back around the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee because they marveled at this miracle worker. But by the end of this same chapter, John 6, after Jesus had identified himself as the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread of life, as the Lord, the crowd was offended. John 6, 66 tells us, from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. The crowd affects this, it reflects this sobering truth. You can be astonished by Jesus, you can be fascinated by Jesus, you can marvel at Jesus, you can even follow Jesus for all the wrong reasons, but he'll have none of it. How about us? Are we following Jesus because of who he is, because he is worthy, because he is Lord? Or are we following Jesus because of what he can do for us? Recognizing Jesus as Lord is essential if we're going to pray the use me prayer. Second thing we need to grasp concerns the people that God uses. You consider how Jesus went about performing this miracle. Now Paul writes in Colossians 1.16, he says, for by him all things were created. From the smallest subatomic particle to the massive galaxies of the universe, Jesus made it all. What dazzling power he possessed. So here we have... Thousands of people who are hungry. No problem. Jesus could just snap his fingers and abracadabra, feast for everybody, right? 
But that's not what he does. He asked Philip, what do you think? Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And John offers this little side note. He, verse six, he says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. All along, there was this plan in place. But Philip threw up his hands and he protested, Jesus, are you crazy? Eight months' wages would not buy enough for each one to have a bite. Now this brief conversation between Jesus and Philip is the hinge of this entire story. Jesus asked Philip a where question. And Philip answered with a how response. He heard Jesus' question as one of logistics or strategy or budgets. We do that too, don't we? When Jesus asked, where are those who are willing to join God's mission? We reduce it to, how are we going to pay for this? How are we going to get enough volunteers? How are we going to get the right facility? The advance of God's kingdom never gets out of the starting blocks because we answer the where question with a how response. How can this possibly be? Friends, ministry is not primarily about material things. Ministry is primarily about people who are willing to say, here I am, use me. So just then, Andrew arrives, and he brings along a little boy and his lunch, and he said, here are one, two, three, four, five barley loaves and two fish. It's all I could find. And the disciples probably scoffed at him, nice job, Andrew. 15,000 people, five loaves and two fish. Way to go, buddy. I don't think Jesus was laughing. But I'll bet he had a big smile on his face. He had all that he needed. One boy who was willing to step forward and say, use me. He didn't need 20 people's lunches. He didn't say, nice start, Andrew, but keep working the crowd, guys. We need 50 loaves and 20 fish. Five loaves and two fish were more than enough. It's amazing what will happen if one person will say, use me. Jesus received the poor boy's offering, and we know that he was poor from a little detail that we find in verse 9. Barley loaves. Barley loaves were the bread of the poor. Then with five loaves and two fish, Jesus fed 15,000 plus people and even had 12 baskets of leftovers. Took the inadequate and made it abundant. He took the insufficient and made it extravagant. Who does God use? It's this boy. A child from a poor family, from every human perspective, seems quite insignificant. But Jesus takes the overlooked, and he makes them extraordinary. 
Perhaps some of us are going through something in our lives right now, and we feel completely powerless. You're saying, I don't have enough wisdom. This is beyond the scope of my stamina, my courage, my hope. Some of us are feeling so overmatched. I feel inept and ill-equipped. And some of us would just love to pray, God, use me. But we don't think we have anything to give. To each situation, God says, oh, I delight in using the powerless and the overlooked and the insignificant and the inadequate. You aren't going to believe what we're going to do together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, he says, people think of what you were when, Christ, when God first called you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were from noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God just loves putting treasure into jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from him, not from us. He chooses to use the least and the last and the lost and the little and the lonely and the left out and the looked past and the laid aside to show his glory. We're part of this culture that encourages us to cover up our flaws and our frailties. But Paul writes, that is why for Christ's sake... I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The last thing that we should understand is how God works through people. If you want to be used by him in a powerful way, you must put everything in his hands. There may have been 15,000 people in that crowd. And one of them was a poor kid from a poor family. But at least he had something to eat. And then verse 11 tells us that Jesus took his lunch. However, because he gave it up, that boy ended up having far more than he could have ever imagined. He had this little lunch But because he surrendered it, not only was he filled, but everyone around him was filled as well. This is the glorious paradox of God. Jesus said that those who lose their lives for his sake will find them. If you allow Jesus to be Lord, if you surrender control, if you loosen your grip, if you lose your life for Christ, You will not only get your life back, but it will be richer and deeper and fuller than you can imagine. But instead, some of us keep it to ourselves. 
Some of us are afraid to fully surrender to God because we resist the idea of losing control. We're holding on to our lunches with white knuckles. Not of the thousands of people, all they had between them were five loaves and two, fish, two pieces of fish. You're telling me nobody packed a Snickers bar. Somebody in that throng was holding out. Some of us are too. The crowd liked Jesus enough to listen to his teaching, but they wouldn't hand over their lunches. They were attracted to him after he put on a show. Love your work with those illnesses and injuries and evil spirits, Jesus. They just weren't so sure about trusting him as Lord. What a missed opportunity. When the disciples went through that crowd asking, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Each person had a chance to be part of something magnificent. But they missed it. They let this opportunity for their lives to intersect with the infinite and the eternal and the glorious pass them by. At least they kept their lunches. This boy who gave up his lunch was used powerfully by the God of the universe. He was an integral part of this miracle. Now he had a testimony. I wonder what the rest of his life looked like. What do you think he did the next time he encountered somebody who was poor and hungry? When he encountered problems and obstacles in his life, what do you think he thought about? What fed his soul during those dark moments? When he got married and he had kids, what story do you think he told his family? How were their ideas of faith and generosity and security shaped by their father and by what he had done as a little boy? When he gave up his lunch so Jesus could feed thousands of people with it. You know, all of us here, we have some time, we have some talent, we have some resources. You have a car, you have a house, you have some money, you have some loaves and fish. What are you going to do with them? Now certainly you could say, well, I'm just going to keep my lunch and eat it all by myself. I don't think I've ever known anybody who chose to live their life that way and found themselves truly happy and fulfilled. The flip side of that is, I don't think I've ever met anybody who said, take what I have, Lord, and use it for your glory. Whoever regretted that decision Every one of us is going to have a moment, probably in the next week, when Jesus Christ is going to come to us with a where question. Where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Where are those in need? Where are those who suffer? Where can I find one person who is willing to join me in what I'm doing in this hungry world? 
Don't reduce that question to a how response. How could I afford it? How could I make a difference? How could that little that I have be used for God's glory and the world's good? What if that boy hadn't stepped forward to say, I have five loaves and two fish, all these mouths to feed. I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. But here I am. Use me. Let nothing go to waste. Volkswagen ran a print advertisement for many years that showed pictures of people at many stages of life with this caption. This is not a test drive. Friends, this is your one and only life. There is no rehearsal, there is no reset, rewind, redo, or replay. Invest the precious life that you have been given in something eternal and glorious. Let nothing go to waste. Have a bigger vision than possessions, positions, prosperity, stuff, security. Give up your lunch and allow Jesus to feed a hungry world with it. Let God give you a testimony that will not only change your life, but change the lives of people around you. Pray this dangerous prayer. Here I am. Use me. Please bow with me in prayer. I'd like to invite you to make this prayer your own if if you can. Lord Jesus, here I am. I'm available. I'm listening. I'm ready to respond even though I don't know all the details. Send me across the room or across the street or across the world. I want to be used by you for your glory and for my neighbor's good. Here I am. Use me.